What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 129 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Matt Lombardo alongside Ryan Dunleavy. And of course, you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, YouTube, iHeartRadio. And if you're tuning in and like what you hear, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast Store. And Ryan, the last time we spoke, we were just entering training camp with the cloud of the uncertainty of the Odell Beckham junior contract situation hovering over the Giants. But here we are basically into a regular season practice schedule, two preseason games in the books. Let me know what you like and what you haven't liked so much so far. Well, so much has changed. That cloud of uncertainty over Odell Beckham is just totally cleared. Everything's done. The contract signed. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, no, wait. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, sorry. Uh, that's, I guess, no, that's not true. You got a little um, bit ahead of yourself there leading yeah. up to the uh, Jets yeah. preseason game, and yeah. I'm sure we'll dive into that as the podcast goes along. But uh, just a quick starting point there. No Odell Beckham Jr. contract hasn't translated into any acrimony, really. He's been doing everything they've asked. He's looked great in practice, just hasn't played in the games. And that seems to be the plan and the deal between Beckham and Shermer. You give me 100% in practice. I'm not going to put you at undue risk in meaningless games. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. You asked me what two things I like. That's one of them is that Odell Beckham is going all out in Giants practice. He is... Um, catching punts, he is run blocking, he is doing one-on-one individual drills, he matched up with Darius Slay last week, uh, with the Lions in practice, basically, he's doing everything to show he's healthy, and he's just not putting himself at further risk by playing in the preseason games. He might never play in another preseason game in his entire career after what happened to him last year uh, with the ankle injury. Uh, That's one thing I really like so far. And I'd say the other thing that I really like so far from the Giants in the preseason is the idea that Davis Webb bounced back so much in the second game. He uh, has had a really good offseason and, you know, media and some VIP fans and all got to see it during training camp. And then the fan base at large did not see it against the Browns and the social media uh, crowd was ready to run him out of town and promote Kyle Laletta and uh, forgot, you know, ignored that guys can have bad games, especially if you haven't played a game in a year. And if it's your first game in a new offensive system, all of which was true for Davis and uh, he was amped up and his throws were high and that could sound like an excuse and maybe it's something technical, but you don't fix technique in a week. You can fix 
fix being amped up in a week. And then we saw him against the Lions, and I thought he was incredibly sharp. He showed the three things that are his biggest assets, Matt. He showed his confidence when making some really you know, uh, risky throws into tight corners and completing them. He showed his arm strength. And he showed his uh, preparedness, his uh, the fact that he is a study nerd, so to speak. He was prepared, he had arm strength, and he was uh, confident. Yeah, listen, I thought he bounced back really, really well. And leading up to that game against the Lions, I thought that that was arguably the most important game that David Davis Webb had ever played in his life because he, he was really bad and really shaky against the Browns when the situation was set up for him um, to, to play really well. And again, as you pointed out, it was almost a calendar year since his last appearance. Uh, he came out a little bit overexcited, sailed some throws, but he looked great against the Lions. He made every throw on the route tree, showed, up the, showed off the arm strength like you talked about. But most importantly, I thought the fact that he put together, I believe it was a 17 Team play scoring drive that ate up nine minutes and 20 seconds of clock. And it was a, a red zone opportunity that was converted into a touchdown. You checked all the boxes on that drive. I thought, you, and you have to remember, he did this without Odell Beckham Jr. and without Saquon Barkley against the Lions. So to me, that made that performance all point. the more impressive. So um, I agree with you that the play of Davis Webb against the Lions is something to really, really like. But bigger picture and, and a situation and an aspect of this team that is really going to impact what the Giants are able to do in 2018, whereas Webb's performance might be something you look forward to a couple years down the road, uh, is the, the run defense. I, I thought they They've been nothing short yeah. as of dominant against the run. They come out against Cleveland. They hold two really good running backs, Carlos Hyde and rookie Nick Chubb, to I believe it was four yards in the first quarter of the first team defense. And they came back and allowed 14 yards to Theo Riddick and Amir Abdullah against the Lions. Riddick has the potential to be an all-pro caliber back, and Abdullah's shifty and kind of quick through the line of scrimmage. So the fact that they've been really good against the run is a big improvement. And, and listen, it's just preseason. You're not really game planning for these matchups. You're playing vanilla offense against the base defense. But to only give up 14 yards rushing in the first quarter with your first team defense says a lot for a group that's coming off being the 27th ranked run defense in the league last year. Yeah, and you know what? The front seven got uh, got a pass rush too, and that's something I didn't think they. I something an area I thought the Giants were lacking three things when training camp started, and they're three pretty important things when you think about football and the way it is played today. I thought they didn't have enough of a pass rush. I thought they were missing a. Uh, you know, a number two slash number three cornerback. And I thought they were missing a number two slash number three offensive tackle. Well, I was dead wrong on the pass rush. They certainly seem like they have enough pass rush. Lorenzo Carter's had a nice camp as a specialist kind of pass third down pass rusher. Uh, I think Connor Barwin, if he ever steps back on the field, will be a contributor. He's been out now for like a week with soreness. Uh, that's probably a little concerning, uh, but could just be a veteran taking uh could just be a veteran taking time, knows what his body needs, knows how many snaps he needs to get ready. Assuming he is what he was last year, not even what he was five years ago for the Eagles. Assuming he's what he was last year and, 
You have uh, Carter as a specialist with some fresh legs, Barwin as a specialist with some experience, and then Kareem Martin and Vernon. I think they definitely have enough pass rush. I think yep. I was right about the other two things. I think they are missing a cornerback, and they are definitely missing a offensive tackle to push Eric Flowers. Yep, no, I agree. And one more thing that I've liked, it kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand, but what we've seen about this run defense overall, I really like Olivier Vernon, what he brings to the defense. And listen, you talk about this year, the position change of going from a 4-3 defensive end to now exclusively playing standing up as a pass rushing outside linebacker. He's been very good against the run as well. I thought he's done a nice job in practice of setting the edge and, and you just watch on a daily basis whether it's Flowers, whether it's Solder. Vernon's getting in the backfield against you know the, the run, getting after the quarterback in the pass. He's looked consistently like one of the more athletic players on the field for the Giants and I think that's huge for this team because we can talk all we want about how dominant their defensive line has the chance to be with Snacks Harrison and B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson. But Vernon was a little bit of a wild card with the position change, and I thought he's exceeded all expectations. I do, too. The one thing, and we just talked glowingly about the Giants linebackers, the one thing, and I'll be Mr. Negativity, is I'm, and I've said this before on this podcast, I've written it before on NJ.com, is I'm not sure they can cover running backs and tight ends. They couldn't cover tight ends last year. They haven't been able to cover Saquon Barkley in practice. That's fine. No one's going to be able to cover Saquon Barkley. Nope. Uh, but they haven't been able to cover Wayne Gallman really either. That's a little more troubling. Then you see what Theo Riddick did to Alec Ogletree. Uh, I don't think it's a surprise that we've seen Ray Ray Armstrong get a couple of first-team nickel snaps at linebacker. So uh, I, that would be an area that concerns me with the front seven. I think the front seven will be good against the run. I think the front seven will give a better pass rush than I originally anticipated. I'm still worried about them in coverage. Yeah, and the one thing that I haven't really liked, if we switch gears to the offensive side of the ball, and, and here again, it's preseason and we're diving into things that probably won't be concerns or big picture issues once the regular season starts. The play of Jonathan Stewart has just been... He looks like a guy who, forget lost a step, he looks like a guy who was brought in here exclusively to be a locker room leader and not much more. You look at what he did against the Lions, um, negative rushes. I think he finished with negative six rushing yards against yeah, Detroit. Yeah, one, was, one wasn't on him. One, he got swallowed. The offensive line forgot to block anybody, and he lost, he lost four or five yards on it. But he certainly wasn't gaining yards even when they do remember to block. No, and in practice, he just looks a step slower than the Wayne Gallmans and the Rob Martins of the world. Sure. And the Giants paid him close to $4 million guaranteed this year. So he's going to be on the roster. You just wonder how that's going to affect the composition of the 53, because if you don't think you can sneak Rob Martin through waivers and you have to carry him on the 53 and you have to carry Jonathan Stewart because of the contract, are you then shortchanging yourself a potential de defensive back? Are you then having to take one fewer offensive lineman than you'd feel comfortable with, given some of the struggles of your backup tackles and of Eric Flowers throughout the course of this preseason and training camp. Um, it's just looking more and more every day like a bad contract. And I think that if we look at this offense, once the regular season starts, Jonathan Stewart might get three carries a game. Um, yeah. Saquon Barkley is going to be on the field. He's going to have 325, 350 touches between carries and catches. He's not going to come off the field, but it just looks like that contract is going to have some ramifications on your roster composition for a guy that doesn't look like he has a whole lot left in the tank. In John and, when, and when Barkley does come off the field, I think it's going to be for Wayne Gallman. So, uh, 
now you're talking about your third running back, basically. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but that's just one thing that I haven't really liked. And I think that um, the play of the secondary has been really up and down. You have Janoris Jenkins, who is just a black hole on that side of the field because it's tough to target him because you know he's going to make a play, whether it's a pass breakup or an interception. Um, but Eli Apple, I think, has been really up and down, really inconsistent. I thought B.J. Webb has settled in nicely into that nickel role. But up until this past week or so, they've been rotating – a cast of characters through there, and it hasn't been great, whether it's been William Gay, whether it's been some of the other young cornerbacks that have been put in that role. Other than what Webb has done recently, I think that that's been a bit of a worry and a bit of a concern as you look ahead to the final two weeks of practices leading up to the regular season. So let's look ahead. You And this week is Giants-Jets. Uh, you know, you and I will be there. NJ.com will swarm this game. Uh, make sure you read our coverage on NJ.com slash Giants and NJ.com slash, slash Jets. Our buddies, Matt and Daryl, do a good job over there covering them. Matt, what are you looking forward to? Giants, Jets. I know it's a game that, you know, probably doesn't mean a ton to the players or a ton to the even the coaches, but I'm sure it means something to the owners and I am know it means something to the fan bases. Yeah, I think it's bragging rights for the fan bases because these two teams aren't going to play in the regular season. So this is your chance for MetLife bragging rights. And it's kind of special to the fans every year. Um, I think this game loses a little bit because Saquon Barkley probably won't play. So we won't get that on the field battle between the potential franchise quarterback for the Jets, the number three picks, Sam Darnold and Barkley, who was taken number two, of course. Um, to me, that would have been the marquee drawing card. But what I want to see is... If Sam Darnold plays and if he starts, I want to see what the Giants pass rush is able to do against him, how he responds yeah. to that. That's going to be one of the things that I key in on. And also just looking if the Giants are able to force him into making some mistakes, whether it's from the pass rush, what you see on the back end of the defense. It's the Giants defense that's going to take center stage for me on Friday night. I want to see if Eli Manning plays. I think he will. Uh, I think he will. I don't think because he's probably not going to play in the fourth preseason game. And I don't think Eli Manning will want to go into the pre into the regular season, having done two series in a first year offense. Didn't play against the Lions. Uh, probably won't play against the Patriots. Do I think he'll play deep into like the third quarter as sometimes starters do? I don't, but I expect he'll play. I expect he'll play I don't, more than he did against the Browns. Uh, I think uh as much as you want to see Davis Webb and Kyle Laletta, that's what week four against the Patriots is for. I think the Giants need to get Eli Manning. Uh, not confidence, because Eli Manning's confident enough. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need to prove anything in a preseason game against the Jets. But just need to get him in a rhythm, I guess, with his new offense, with his new offensive line. But are you really getting into a rhythm? And we, we, we talked about yeah, this I on the sideline a little bit, I because if, if Odo Beckham's not playing and Saquon Barkley's not playing and your receivers are – uh, Cody Latimer, Sterling Shepard, and Russell Shepard, and you're handing the I ball mean, you're off. You're still going to gonna be throwing those. You're still going to be throwing. You can't throw the ball to Odell Beckham every play. As much as the, as much as Eli might like to, you still need to develop a chemistry with Russell Shepard. You still need to develop a chemistry with Cody Latimer. You still need to get on the same page as your three newcomers on the offensive line. Yeah, I don't uh, disagree, but I think the offense looks different with Beckham on the field than course. it does without him, and I think that. I don't know what you're gaining from an experience standpoint with those guys when you don't have that deep threat who can take the cover off a of defense opening up the space while being out there in at risk of, of you know suffering an injury. And I did think it was really interesting. I'm not sure 
who asked about it um, yesterday or after the game against the Lions, but Pat Shermer saying that he doesn't necessarily believe the third preseason game is the uh, the dress rehearsal that a lot of head coaches believe it to be where your starters play into the third quarter, sometimes a series into the fourth quarter. Um, if my, my thought is that if you're not going to play Eli Manning against the Lions in the second week, and you're not going to play Barkley and you're not going to play Beckham. I just don't know the risk versus the reward, how it lines up on the reward side to play Manning this week after sitting him last week. Yeah, I disagree completely. I think that uh, I think you got to play him. I think you can't go in with two offensive series, especially after with all the changes they've had, including a new offense, a new play caller for him and Shermer to get on the same page. Uh, Shula on the sidelines. There's just so many changes in personnel and coaches and scheme and stuff that you just can't replicate when you're going against yourselves every day in practice that to me, uh, Eli needs to be out on that field. Just take, I think, I think the reason he didn't play against the lions is because they practiced against the lions for three days. And that was almost better in some ways, uh, even though it was scripted, it was almost better for him in those three days to go against, uh, that competition where you could have a little bit more controllables, uh, for Eli Manning to be worried, the risk or worried about injury. I mean, if he hasn't been injured at this point, I, I mean, he seems to know what he's, he seems to know how to take a hit. So um, of course, anything could happen at any point. But for me, I'd put Eli Manning out. I understand not putting Barkley out there when he has a hammy. I understand not putting Beckham out there when he has his contract and his ankle. But for me, if you're not going to put Manning out there, then why put Snacks out there? Why put Vernon out there? Why put anybody out there? Yeah, I don't disagree. I just think that with the quarterback position being what it is and as valuable as it is in the NFL, that if if his best weapons aren't out there and you've already set the precedent by not playing him against the Lions to come back and put him out there with guys that are it's going to be a different look this week than it is during the regular season. But you might be right that the value of those practice snaps against the Lions carried more weight for the coaching staff yeah. from an evaluation standpoint. And, and I thought that Eli played fairly well. I thought he made some really nice throws last week in practice, but I thought the game was the Davis Webb show. And I thought that he played really well against Detroit and bounced back nicely. Let me put you on the spot, Matt. So you you brought something up that I thought was really interesting, and yeah, in a way, I'm kind of bummed that Barkley probably won't play in this game because I w- I was looking forward to the fan overreaction of <laughs> Barkley versus Darnold, and you know, if Sam Darnold comes out and goes 12 of 14 for a buck 80 and two TDs, Giants fans being like, we really missed on this guy, or if Saquon Barkley rips off an 80-yard touchdown run on the first play of the game, being like, this is why you don't draft a quarterback, I'm going to really miss that, I really am, I I wanted that. So let me ask you a hypothetical, we don't know the answer, but if you're driving home in your car, you're probably thinking about it, and you let, let us give you our opinion, Matt. The Bronc, the Browns drafted Saquon Barkley with the first overall pick. What would the Giants have done? <sighs> That's such a great question because I think that That's there's what a I chance. Do. I ask great questions. There you go. I, I I think that there's a chance that they trade out of that spot and get some value. But we all remember, or at least I had been, it had been suggested to me, and I'm sure you heard similar that if Sam Darnold was on the board, that he was probably going to be their guy with Saquon Barkley off the board. So I think that if the Browns went Barkley number one, there's a really good chance that the Giants took Sam Darnold number two. But 
everything the Giants did all offseason, whether it was, you know, bringing in Al Ogletree via trade, spending big money on a left tackle, everything they did showed you they were committed to trying to win with Eli Manning. So yeah. could they have taken uh, Bradley Chubb? Could yeah. they have taken Quentin Nelson and made him your starting left guard alongside Nate Solder and kind of solidified that line for three to five years? I mean, it's a great hypothetical question, but if you're twisting my arm and putting a loaded gun to my head, I'm saying that with Barkley off the board, who clearly they were in love with from day one, yeah, I, I think there's a 90% chance that Sam Darnold would have been the pick. That's it. I mean, that's that's what's so interesting about it to me is you talk about flipping the franchise. Sam Darnold will be in blue this game and the Jets probably would have ended up with Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen. And, you know, who knows? They pro- the, that fan base probably wouldn't be nearly as excited. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater would be the guy lining up as the starting quarterback there. I mean, it, it's so fascinating to me. And again, this is somewhat of an educated guess, but uh you know, I certainly, you know, I don't know this to be true. I think they would have went with Bradley Chubb. And would they have traded down? Possibly because um, because you could have gotten Bradley Chubb later. I mean, he went five to the Broncos. Right. So obviously, you could have you could have spooked the Jets into flipping you a draft pick. You I mean, now, now we're now we're remitigating what we went correct. through in April. But, correct. you know, you could have got value for the pick and you could have gotten your guy, whoever that might've been, your number two guy on yeah, your I board. would like, I would like to have, uh, it's funny. I'd like to see that play out in an all, I, it's like a twilight zone episode and anyone who knows you've me, seen all uh, of them. I have all one fifty six. It's one of my uh, claim to fame. Love that show. But this is kind of like a Twilight Zone episode where you'd like to see what the or or like a it's a wonderful life, which is, might be my favorite movie. Um, Agreed. Where you get to see like an alternative reality. I would uh, I would like to see those two things play out. Yeah, unfortunately, we won't get the chance, and we probably won't get the chance to see Saquon Barkley and Darnold on the same field on Friday night. And um, let me know if you agree with me on this because on Twitter I've gotten it's been a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of the reactions to this Twitter offers a mixed bag of reactions uh, who who would have guessed who would have guessed right that's brand new information (laughs) but my thought on the whole Saquon Barkley hamstring issue is he hasn't practiced since he got injured last Monday here at Quest he didn't take part in any of the joint practices in Detroit, didn't play in the game. He didn't practice on Monday and I'm perfectly fine if he doesn't step on the field to practice or play in a preseason game before week one. If you, if you were to tell me that Barkley doesn't take another rep of practice, but he's a hundred percent healthy for week one, if you're the giants, I think you sign up for that. And some people on Twitter said, well, he's a rookie. He needs to practice. He's not a six year vet. He should be out there practicing with his teammates. And if he's a hundred percent healthy, okay, fine. That's all well and good. But I think there's something to be said when you look around the league and you see Darius guys out for the the year. You see Sonny Michelle uh, with a, a finger surgery. He might or might not be ready for week one. You're seeing these first round running backs kind of dinged up and some of them, their availability for the season or week one left up in the air. I don't see it being imperative that Barkley practices between now and week one. And I certainly don't think he should play in either one of the preseason games. He's not a quarterback. He doesn't need to learn the ins and outs of the audibles or reading a defense. I think it's a little bit different when you talk about the health of a running back and the beating that they take on a daily basis in practice and in the games that I'm okay. If you don't see Barkley on the field again until week one against the Jaguars, what about you? 
Uh, well, I'll start it with the end of what you said, which is I agree running back is different than quarterback or really any position on the field. I think running back is the easiest position for a rookie to come in and make an immediate impact. I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe it's karma because their careers end so much earlier, but um, I think they just have less responsibility. That was a joke. I think uh, they just have less responsibility. You know, you know, running running the ball is so much dependent on your offensive line. Pass protection is really a thing, and Barkley seems to have that under control. Uh, pass receiving and routes, that's another area where he excels. Yep. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't ex- think he should play in either of the last two preseason games. If he doesn't practice again before the game, I mean, that would make me a little nervous if I was the coaching staff. If I was the fans, that would probably unsettle me a little bit. I would probably, if I'm the coaches, like to see him back on the practice field, at least in some capacity before the opener. But I certainly wouldn't expect him to play in any of the games. I just think that uh, that whole idea of, uh, you know, he needs to get ready, I think, is a little bit lessened by the position that he plays. And yes, obviously, the number one goal is to have him 100 percent ready. And everybody everybody believes that Saquon Barkley is NFL ready when he came into it. And one thing I can tell you from knowing Saquon Barkley a little bit and from hearing his teammates talk about him is even though he's out, he isn't falling behind. He is that does it just because he's not practicing doesn't mean he's not studying, doesn't mean he's not watching film, doesn't mean he's not taking quote unquote mental reps. The and we've seen that on sports. But we've yeah. seen that on the field in, in Detroit. You saw him with a ball in his hand going yeah. through the motions on his own behind the running back drills. So it's not like he's not getting work in and he's not preparing. Exactly. The, kid, the kid's a student for the student of the game and I, I think all of those things in terms of digesting the playbook and the blocking schemes and and the route concepts I think the Giants saw what they needed to see now to me I think they're just being abundantly cautious with this rather than um, the fact that it's a severe injury if, if this injury is more severe than the Giants or he is letting on then obviously that's something to worry about but I'm just saying that from from that position's perspective, I don't think that it's necessary or a reason to think the sky is falling if he doesn't practice between now and the week leading up to week one. Yep, agreed. Uh, speaking of guys who don't practice, uh, <laughs> uh, or um, or excuse me, guys who don't play in games but do practice, that's what I meant to say. Uh, Matt, Odell Beckham, contract, no contract. Boy, Ryan, that to me is going to be the most fascinating thing of this entire summer is what happens the Thursday before the regular season opener, September 9th, if Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't have a contract. Because I think everything is pointing in that direction. We saw Zeke Sandu, his agent, watch practice with Kevin Abrams a week and a half ago. Um, There was talk about there being momentum in the contract negotiations. John Maris said that they're open for business at the start of training camp to try to get a deal done. Everybody knows the number. It's $18 million. It's making him the highest paid wide receiver. I really believe at the end of the day that a deal will get done right before the regular season. But Ryan, boy, oh boy, wouldn't it be fascinating if it doesn't? Because Odell, all summer, all spring, all through training camp has done everything the Giants have asked. If they don't reward him with a new deal, if I'm Odell Beckham Jr., I don't know that I show up and play in week one. So I think a deal gets done, but I'm kind of hoping to see what happens in that alternate reality that there is uncertainty looming heading into the opener. Here's what I would say. I think I think the deal will get done. 
I also think Odell Beckham has boxed himself into a corner where he can't do what you're saying. And it's a shame because usually you box yourself into a corner by being an idiot. He's <laughs> boxed himself into a corner by doing all the right things. He yep. by by showing up, by being a good teammate, by practicing hard, he's boxed himself into a corner because now you can't do all those things and then not and then hold out when the games start to matter. I mean that that's worse than what Khalil Mack or all Thomas is. At least they drew a hard line in the sand and gave Aaron your, Donald. Yeah, gave yeah. the team a month to get it ready. For Odell Beckham to just not play in the games, that's gonna cause the fans to get really, really upset. You can practice but you can't play. Yeah. So um, no, I think that but, it, it's it's a PR battle at that point that I don't know how Odell Beckham Jr. wins if it plays out that way. If it yeah. plays out that he doesn't have a deal, I, I don't know how fans could get on board with him not playing. I'm okay with not playing because obviously, you know, the injury risk is there and there's no long-term security, but, and we also have to remember that deadlines seem to bring on action. And I think that whether either side has said it or not, that deadline of the first week, I think means something to both sides to get something signed, sealed and delivered. Let me tell you what I do think is interesting. I do think that public opinion has changed on Odell Beckham. And I I'm do I I don't have a scientific poll in front of me. Uh, if Monmouth University or Eagleton wants to I thought we were do- supposed to conduct that last week. You, yeah. you dropped the ball on it here. <laughs> yeah. Um I don't have one in front of me, but I do think the public opinion has changed where I think originally it was, you know, oh, you can't trust this guy. I, I don't know. How can you pay him to now that he's done all the right things? It's like, oh, well, you know, the Giants are really dragging this out. And I think that's kind of miraculous that in eight months it's gone from be, most people seeing it the Giants way and being like, oh, you know, if he wants to get paid, he's got to get his act together to now most people seeing it Beckham's way, which is, you know, the Giants need him. What are they doing? Just pay him. So uh, I, I do think that's interesting how that's changed. And I'll, I've said this before. I'll say this again. Giants have a history of getting deals done in early September. I kind of have had that circled on my calendar early September as the as kind of the date this gets done. Uh, that would be my guess still right yep. now, but you know we'll no, see. No, I agree with you, and and it comes down once again to deadlines bringing on action, and I, I think there's a case that can be made, especially when you saw what happened to that offense last year, that Odell Beckham Jr. is the Giants' most valuable player, their most important no, player on the roster. It's not even close. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's even close. One thing you mentioned the 18 million dollars. Here's something I'd like to know, actually. Um, and I, you know, I, trust me, I've tried to find out. It's not for a lack of trying. Um, is there a chance that Odell Beckham would take less than $18 million a year? And for anyone who doesn't know, the reason we keep throwing that an- that number out there is that would make him the highest paid NFL receiver ahead of Antonio Brown. Um, is there a chance he'd take less? Let's say $15 million a year. Five years, $15 million a year, $75 million, if all of it was guaranteed. So now he is not the highest paid receiver in the NFL by year, but he just got a game changing contract uh, where all of the money is guaranteed. And now the he the record right now for a receiver is fifty eight and a half million dollars guaranteed. He could do go the Kirk Cousins route with the Vikings and get a fully guaranteed contract. And now you're not the highest paid, but you're the envy of all your fellow NFL receivers because, whoa, Odell Beckham just got all of his money guaranteed. Uh, I think that might pique his interest. He's 
a busy, he's a smart guy. He's a businessman. He understands marketing and whatnot. I, I think that would pique his interest if he was like, you know what? I just changed the game of how NFL contracts are done, especially for receivers. Yeah, I think it's 18 million. <laughs> okay. it, it's a great thought. And I think that there is something to be said for it. But I, you know, you talk to other agents and you talk to people who have negotiated contracts in the past and they keep throwing around that $18 million figure. Listen, if I'm Odell's agent and somebody approached me with $15 million a year fully guaranteed in an era where NFL contracts are anything, but it would pique my interest. But I don't know that Odell puts pen to paper without surpassing an Antonio Brown. I think it's almost personal to him that he becomes the highest paid wide receiver. And I don't know that he accepts a dollar less. That's interesting. I, may, that might be true. I don't know Odell well enough yet. We've only you know had him twice to s- speak to us. Yep. Uh, if it was me, if I was in Odell Beckham's shoes, well, if, I'd be wearing a lot nicer shoes. But um, <laughs> if I was in Odell Beckham's shoes, I would like the second one. I'd say give me the fully guaranteed money. So to get $18 million a year for five years, what's that? And that's $90 million if I know how to do math. But yep. you're only going to guarantee me 55 of them. Well, I'd rather have the $75 million guaranteed. But, you know, I play it safe, I guess. Yeah, no, I have, to me, guaranteed money is guaranteed money. And the way that you and I would look at it is probably different, though, than how an NFL agent yeah. or Odell will look at it. Um, we're halfway through the preseason, Ryan, and obviously you start looking at the calendar and September 9th gets closer and closer and closer. What are you hoping to see from this Giants team in practice and obviously in the game against the Jets? Uh, because we're not going to get that much of an indication against the Patriots. That's going to be bottom of the roster play getting the playing time and trying to nail down jobs. But what do you hope to see, hope, you know, uh, reveals itself, if you will, over the next, let's say, seven days about this team going into the opener? The offensive line. I mean, that's probably uh, the big one of the biggest stories that, you know, it almost gets overshadowed by Beckham and Barkley. But the the offensive line, Shermer said the team's only going to go as far as the offensive line will block for him. The offensive line was a disaster here for the last couple of years. John Mara made it a point of emphasis. Dave Gettleman made it a point of emphasis. Pat Shermer made it a point of emphasis. I've made it a point of emphasis. Yep. Uh, if you talk to guys, it seems like last year's offensive line wasn't particularly close. Probably didn't particularly like each other. Uh, that manifested onto the field. Uh, now you have five guys in five different positions than they were in last year. Uh, that worked for the Vikings last year when Shermer was the offensive coordinator. That's not the norm. So the Giants are really asking Lightning to strike twice around Shermer. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that the offensive line is probably issue number one for this team because you can't argue with the talent on offense with Beckham and Barkley and Ingram with Eli Manning, at quarterback Sterling Shepard, one of the premier slot receivers in the league. Shermer said it best today. We'll only go as far as the offensive line will block us to go. So that that group needs to come together. I still want to see what Eli Apple turns into this year. Does he finally turn the corner and play like a first round pick? Or is it going to be more the same where you have a little bit of an attitude off the field and then you go on the field and you're the frequent target of opposing quarterbacks and you're giving up big play after big play. And what happens at safety? What is Curtis Riley? There's no real track record there of him as a starting safety in the NFL. You know what you have in Landon Collins, but Collins is going to be that money backer. You're going to see him up against the line of scrimmage in run support 
and getting after the quarterback probably as much as you are in deep coverage. So what are you getting out of Curtis Riley? What is Eli Apple? And what are you getting after uh, from BW Webb? Is he going to be the answer long term? So to me, that's what I want to see from a Giants perspective against the Jets. And what I'll be looking to closest against the Jaguars in week one is, hey, what the heck are you getting out of these defensive backs? Because we know what you're getting in Janoris Jenkins. You know what you're getting out of Landon Collins. But the other two spots are kind of wild cards. Yeah. Uh, Let me just follow up on one thing to be fair for Eli Apple. Uh, He has, you mentioned uh, two things, his attitude off the field and his play on the field. And number one, he has been targeted quite a bit. I mean, I think the Matthew Stafford uh, joint practices were very interesting. Shermer said offenses tend to go to the right in practice. I know that sounded a little, uh, (laughs) that sounded a little like coach speak to me. I mean, I think they were going after Eli Apple. So, uh, I and think, he did have an interception that he returned for yeah, a touchdown. Yeah, but it was off Jake week. Ruddick, not off Matthew right. Stafford. So right. he ain't got, he ain't facing Jake Ruddick in the regular season. So uh, he has been targeted. Uh, he, I think he's better in practice against Shepard and Beckham than I do when he's play, playing opponents, which is a strange thing. I don't know how you get to the bottom of that. I do think that's interesting. Familiarity. Yeah, you're lining up uh, against the same guy every day, yeah. so you're basically, you know, yeah, learning. Yeah, but Beckham their... and Shepard are lining up against Eli Apple every day, so that should work both True. ways, right? I mean, True. Um, and then the flip side of that is, I do think his attitude has been better. He has been very, to be fair to Eli Apple, he has been very available and accommodating to the media. He's look, he's not a loquacious guy. He's not, he's not a guy who's giving you you know, headline, uh, like long winded insights and answers. And like Leonard Johnson, for example, is a guy you're going to read about a lot from the giants because he's very quotable. He's very approachable, etc. That's not who Eli Apple is at this point in his career, but he has not shown any of the, you know, quote unquote, neither you nor I covered the beat last year, but we know everybody knows what happened with Eli Apple in the locker room, off the field, his effort, his attitude. He does seem like he has kind of, he is trying to turn the page from that he is giving a better effort in terms of being a uh being available being a public figure for the giants so we have to be fair in that yep, no and and i don't mean to call him on the carpet for that this year because as you said i think he's been uh, you know very good to us he's been very good to the media but it comes down to what happens on sundays and right. and and part of everything about this secondary is going to be what happens after week one against the Jaguars? If they give up a 50-yard bomb deep down the field, how do they respond? Does it become the finger-pointing, three-ring circus of that locker room and that position group was a year ago? Or do they pick themselves up by the bootstraps and go out there and make a play? So to me, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing against the Jets, and I'm really excited to see how they respond in those first three weeks against Blake Bortles, Dak Prescott, and Deshaun Watson back-to-back-to-back. All right, so let's wrap this up. It's the Snoopy Bowl Trophy. Uh, Do they actually have a Snoopy? Will there be a Snoopy that's that's awarded? It's like like the little brown jug that they bring across the field at the end of the game. So let me ask you two things. One, I know it doesn't really matter who wins the game, but who wins the game? And then who is your favorite character from... what is that? Peanuts with from Snoopy? peanuts. Yeah. Snoopy and Linus and all those guys. I think that's peanuts. Uh, who is your favorite character in the Snoopy cartoon and who wins the game? 
All right, favorite character, I'll go right out of the jump here. Snoopy was huge in my family growing up. My grandfather's and my uncle's, he made a Snoopy lawn sign that said the Lombardos that we can put outside of our house. And my dad's room growing up had a wall mural of Snoopy and Woodstock flying the Red Baron above like his bedroom bed that him and my uncle's painted growing up. So uh, I'm a big Snoopy fan. I'd probably go. How is this not the lead to this podcast? This is a great great story you're telling me. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that while it would be easy for me to say that Snoopy is my favorite character, I'm going with Woodstock. I think he's very (laughs) underrated. Um, I think that he's a comedic foil to Snoopy. So my favorite would be uh, Woodstock. And I think the Giants somehow pull off this game. And I think that the defense plays well again. Okay, I'm going to say my favorite character is Charlie Brown. I kind of like Charlie Brown. I, I kind of kind of embody Charlie Brown. You yeah, I'm kind Charlie of a Brown sad sack. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a like, woe is me. Wah, wah. Like, I'm kind of I'm kind of a Charlie. I, uh, I have a little Charlie Brown in Lucy me. Lucy pulls think. the football back from you every time. Yeah, you go. yeah. Plus, I love Charlie Brown's steakhouse. I mean, I just uh, I'm a Charlie Brown kind of guy. So uh, Charlie Brown's my favorite. And I think the Jets will win. I don't I don't really know why. I mean, it doesn't really matter who wins the game, but I think the Jets will win. I think Sam Darnold will play well and uh, Bridgewater will play well. It's weird to say this, but I like I like the I can't believe I'm about to say the words. I like the Jets quarterback situation and I don't and I don't like the Giants secondary situation. So I think the Jets will probably win the game. There you go. So Ryan takes the Jets. I take the Giants. Davis Webb, I think, has another big game. I think there's opportunity for him there. Um, We'll we'll get back with you guys soon. We'll recap the Jets game. We'll look ahead to the start of the regular season and preview the Patriots next week. Uh, Ryan, any parting shots? No, I think that's it for signing off for me, you, Snoopy, and Woodstock. There you go. Follow him on Twitter. He's at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Enjoy the Snoopy Bowl, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. <laughs>